0: All right, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter one, verse 27 through 30, please. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 to 30, in the message entitled, "Live out Your Faith in Christ." Paul has revealed what it means to live as Christ, in verse 22 to 26, to be an instrument of God in verse 22, to be in a spiritual dilemma. 22 and 23, and to be a benefit to believers in verse 25 and 26. Now Paul admonishes the Philippians to live out Christ, their conduct worthy of the gospel, and it consists of three things. Let me read here 27 through 30. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, Or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul's admonishment to the Philippians to live out Christ, that their conduct worthy of the gospel consists of three following things. First, the picture of the worthy conduct in the beginning of verse 27. Second, the particulars of the worthy conduct. The rest of 27 and 28. And thirdly, the privilege of the worthy conduct in verse 29 and 30. The picture of the worthy conduct comes first. Verse 27. Notice the Apostle Paul describes a picture that related to responsible citizenship here. Listen to his words. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul indicated the importance of their life as Christians. Once again, listen, only let your conduct. The word only is emphatic in position here due that it's at the beginning of the sentence and so it stands very emphatic. The Greek scholar Lensky states that the word only stresses the main thought, the matter of great importance in the mind of Paul, their life example. As if to say, whatever may happen, above all else, or at all costs, this you must do. You as a parent know what Paul was talking about when you deal with your child of something very important. Look at me. You must do this. You cannot miss this. This is what he's saying. Paul was indicating the Christian duty. Today, with the mentality of entitlement in every way that everybody owes you something, it's hard for some people, even in the church, to understand that we have duties, responsibilities. Because so much of the world has bled into the church today. The word conduct means manner of life or behavior. In the old King James, it's translated conversation. Because it entails for the whole aspect of life. This is an imperative command. In the present tense middle voice, each believer must do this themselves. No one can do it for you. The word appears only one of the time in the New Testament when Paul defended himself before the chief priest and the council after the riot in the temple, if you remember in Jerusalem in Acts twenty three, one, where he says, I have lived in all here's the word, good conscience before God. Good conscience. The word originally described one who lived as a citizen of a free state as a responsible partner who worked for the highest good of that community. This is the whole aspect of a republic, the Republic of Rome, the Republic of America, that you are working as a honorable, faithful, loyal citizen. For the good of the country, because it benefits you and your love and patriotism. Paul, in fact, we get our word politics from it, sadly. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Paul knew the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, and in our introduction we went through some of that. And though Rome was far away, Rome expected the Philippians to conduct themselves in an honorable manner as citizens of Rome. And the thing about Roman cities is wherever you went, the cardio street, everything was laid out the same. So wherever you went, it was a Roman city, you know exactly where everything was. You have the same thing with when Spain conquered the world. You go to Madrid, you look at the city, you go to Mexico city, it's duplicated everywhere. And that's the way they used to build cities. So whenever you travel, that was a mini Spain, a mini Rome, whatever, and you know exactly where everything was. Now, as they lived out in this conduct of honorableness as citizens of Rome, they were demonstrating the loyal patriotism and the high privilege of being Romans. Therefore, Paul was pleading that they relate the picture or a picture responsibly of heavenly citizens. There's the parallel. Doing and being all for the highest good. Listen. Of the kingdom of God. In Philippians 3:20, he says, "For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." So we have an earthly citizenship, and whatever country you belong to, here you're in America. In America, you should be striving for the best for the country, being honorable, being honest. But your higher citizenship is that of heaven. Because when man tells you to do something that's contrary to the kingdom of God and the word of God, then you must obey your higher citizenship. And so our honor and our dedication and commitment is loyalty is the highest to God. And as long as man does not contradict the word of God, then we'll gladly serve man faithfully in this, in this nation and that. Very important. Now, notice Paul indicated the quality of their life as Christian, being worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word worthy simply means uh, equal weight, uh, like value. I, I don't know if you've ever been to third world countries, but I, even when I grew up in Mexico, you have the balances. You know, they're not electronic or nothing. You put a certain amount here and you balance it and you get equal weight, right? It, it's, it's what it's talking about, an equal weight that needs to be happening here. Um, the word appears six times in the New Testament, and this is how it's used. To receiving um, Phoebe. In a manner worthy of the saints, in Romans sixteen two, to receiving uh, or for walking worthy of our calling in Ephesians four eleven, and for our walk worthy of the Lord in Colossians one ten, and for our walk worthy of God in First Thessalonians two twelve, and for supposing or supplying the needs of of a man going out that God has sent. In a manner worthy of God in 3 John 6. So always in proportion, in the same weight as the scriptures. What a Christian is, is in the word of God. And what we learn and what we take in, we have to put out and live out. So the balances are proper. Very important. Now notice the high quality of equal weight is to be that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel, as you know, means good news, a lot of tidings, and really that's the only good news for this world. Everything else today is bad news. You, have, you can't even trust the news. Um, um, it's not even fake news. It's just plain lies um, in many, many different ways. Um, the word appears six times in this first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 5, 7, 12, 17 and verse 27 three more times it will uh, appear in the rest of the letter in Philippians 2:22, 22 4 3 and 15 so it's a key word for this epistle the gospel the good news in fact that's why Paul is in prison as we're going to see the gospel it's the gospel that has brought some of the praetorium guard into the kingdom It's the gospel that encouraged some to preach. They were all fearful, and there were others that wanted to add hurt to Paul, and they preached, and it's the gospel. The picture is of living out the truth of the gospel in Christ as Christ lived it out. No hypocrisy or insincerity in what it proclaims or requires. The work of Christ is in and through the life of the Christian. We are not perfect. No man or woman is perfect in Christ. We are under construction. But we certainly live quite different than we used to. We live different as night and day. In our life, in our thinking, in the things that we yield to, the things that we say yes to, the things that we say no to, night and day. Now, notice the Apostle Paul depicted a picture that regarded... Consistency at all times. Listen to the words. So that whatever I, whenever I, whether I come to you and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs. Paul pointed out this high quality of Christian living is on equal weight with the gospel that is to be seen by him if he visited them. So that whether I come, And see you. Not because they knew he was coming. Like the guy that's working and just sloughing off and knows the boss is coming in and he acts like he's really working. No, not like that. But just because this was to be their manner of life from day to day. Remember the vertical is the most important. What I see in your life or you see in mine is really not that important. What is important is what God sees. That's the most important. Um, literally, having seen a participle error's act of something having taken place and going on in the present. Now, notice Paul pointed out that this high quality of Christian living that is on equal weight with the gospel should also be going on when he wasn't present or i am absent. Not to impress Paul again, but rather provide a good visual picture of what a Christian is like and what the Christian life is all about. We as parents, we love when our kids are behaving in front of us, but it impresses us more when they behave when we're not present, right? And somebody comes and say, you know, your kid is a pretty sharp kid. You know, these guys are dead and he didn't go along with it. Wow, you're impressed. Notice Paul pointed out, it included all of their life. I may hear of your affairs. In other words, the word affairs means concerning about with the idea of every and whatever area they're involved in. Their relationship with family, Friends, work, business dealings, you keep adding to the list. Every area. Religious people divide their life into the holy and the profane, the religious and the secular, and they live accordingly. The Christian lives before God. And trust God for a life of sanctification and holiness. Though we're not perfect, we're not sinless, but we live the way God wants us to live in private or in public. Wherever we may be, we're the same. Or at least we should be. And this is what he's telling us here. Paul was saying, give the world a picture of stability by your consistency before God, not only in the presence of man. Listen in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I know no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his person, character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So what Paul is demanding, he is also commending Timothy as one of those men. So he's not asking anything unreasonable. He's asking something very reasonable. Why? Because they're Christians. Simple. Philippians 2.25 says, Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was lodging a longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick so he commends Epaphroditus also because he almost came near to death and he commends him as a faithful co-worker and fellow prisoner you know it's like the church that rented a bar to start a church you know many churches started like that in the old days too we started in a home study, and other people have started different places. You know, and the guy comes in. And he says, "You know, I'd like to rent your, your, your bar on Sunday, since you guys are closed." It's yeah, no problem. He says, "Only one thing. I got a parrot in here, and I, he's got to stay in here." Guy was all right. No big deal. So come Sunday, there they come. They walk in. Um, preacher comes out. Parrot goes whack. He says, different bartender. The um, musician starts playing. And he says, uh, new piano player. Then the people start pouring in. He goes, same old crowd. (laughs) That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is what Paul is saying. We um, are responsible to give of our example of a heavenly citizen consistently. First, in your home for your children, ladies and gentlemen, fathers, you're on top of the list. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2:14 and 16: Do all things without murmur or complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of God so that I may rejoice in that day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He'll tell them again in chapter 317, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk and who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 4.9, 4 9, the things which you learn and receive and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. What a statement! What an incredible statement. To the Ephesians, he said in 6 5 through 8, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, that but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Colossians 1, 9 and 11, he says, and by the way, these are all the prison epistles that I'm quoting from. He says, "For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of all of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Quite a mouthful. All because we are Christians, we have this potential. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Equal weight. Equal value. The picture, this is the picture of worthy conduct. Who's he talking to, Christians? From horrible past. If you study the first century church. Okay. New potential. Notice secondly. The particulars. Of the worthy conduct come next. The remainder of 27 and 28. And 27 there. The apostle Paul declared the posture. All believers are to take. Corporately. Regarding the gospel. Listen to his words. That you may stand in one spirit. With one mind. Striving together for the faith. Paul indicated the posture to be one of strength. Listen to the words. That you stand fast. The phrase stand fast is a military term. It means to refuse to retreat in spite of the severity of the suffering. Emphasizing not defensiveness but offensiveness. You're moving forward. Paul was not commanding anything he did not do himself at this time. As you know, he's in prison and people are coming to Christ. We are soldiers who endure hard as the good soldier of Jesus Christ, engaged in warfare, not entangling ourselves with the affairs of this life in order to please Christ who enlisted us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3-4 through four says, the word appears seven times more in the New Testament. Let me give it to you how it's used. We stand praying, Mark eleven twenty-five. We stand or fall before our master, Romans fourteen two. We stand fast in faith, First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. We are to stand fast in the liberty of Christ, Galatians five one. We are to stand fast in the Lord. Philippians 4.1 and 1 Thessalonians 3.8. And we are to stand fast and hold on to the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Paul indicated the posture of strength was due to the unity being in one spirit. Mark it well. There are those who um, say the word spirit refers to man's spirit. But the spirit of man is unable to bring unity. All we do in our natural spirit is to divide and disrupt. Only when it's convenient will we unite in our natural sinful nature. The context of our passage is what it means to live is Christ, the conduct of the gospel from verse 21 to the beginning of 27. It's life in the spirit, not life in the flesh. Therefore, one spirit has to refer to the influence and potential of the Holy Spirit on the spirit of man when he or she is made alive in Christ. Our spirit was dead. Once we're born again, our spirit is made alive by the spirit of God. We're able to see the things of God, understand the things of God, do the things of God, desire the things of God. Paul stated, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. In verse 20, remember? That's by the Spirit. That's not by His own Spirit. By His own Spirit, He's to kill Christians. <laughs> Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21, that's not life in the flesh, it's life in the Spirit. So if there's going to be any harmony and unity, it will come by depending on the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, endeavoring to keep the unity of the bond of the Spirit, the Spirit creates unity and bond. We disrupt it. And then he says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It's by the Spirit of God that this comes about as we yield to Him. Then notice, it's still in 27, the Apostle Paul declared the posture, believers are to take corporally for the effectiveness of the gospel. So in the second point, he's addressing all of us as a church, whatever size that church is, corporately, that we're united, we're in harmony with what goes on in the Scripture, what it says. We're working together for the good of the kingdom of God, the gospel. He says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Paul indicated that this corporate endeavor must be accompanied with one mind. The word mind is psyche. It describes the emotion, the intellect, and the will. You have body, soul, and spirit. The soul is the psyche. The spirit is the pneuma. The body is the soma. Okay? Three distinct things. You're an inferior trinity. Got the Father, got the Son, got the Holy Spirit. You're an inferior trinity. Body, soul, and spirit. Now, before Christ, we lived out our life by these three and made bad decisions because we lean to our own understanding, the intellect. Our emotions affected our decision and then we did our own will, depending if we wanted to, if it pleased us or if we had a great advantage for ourselves. Thinking we knew better and trusting our emotions and feelings and making foolish decisions often. Women are the greater victims by their emotions and feelings to selfish and deceptive men that have one purpose in mind is to conquer them sexually because they know that emotions and feelings move a woman and so they use them. And so you as a godly woman now, you don't make your decisions based on your emotions and your feelings. You make your decisions based on the objective truth of the word of God that you're a godly woman and the same with you young men. So you no longer yield to your own feelings, emotions, wants, but you submit yourself to the will of God. And so there's a great advantage, a great protection. But now by the grace of God, our spirit is alive by the Holy Spirit to live our lives based on God's word, His will, not ours. Our body is a mere vessel. It's amoral. There's nothing sinful, nothing good about this body. It's like a glove. If I put my hand in it, the glove moves around. If I take my hand out, it'll fall to the ground. So, you know, if, if, if I take a pencil and I write poetry, then I write some dirty words, I can't blame the pencil. It's just the instrument. It's It's me. And so, the same with us. Our soul, the intellect, the emotion, the will are now subject to the word and the will of God because they are under the control and the spirit of God. So, we're alive. We can think through things, we can understand the things of God. And in spite of the pain, emotions, and feelings, as an athlete pushes himself because he is disciplined and has a goal to win. So we individually and corporately do the same, disciplining ourselves. First Corinthians 9:24, giving ourselves black eyes, as Paul says, to keep our body under, lest we dis- be disqualified. Uh, Hebrews 12:1 and 2, the runner that runs that race, lest he be disqualified. Our inward attitude will be manifested by our outward actions we to have an attitude of courage speaking, of inward disposition. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians five, ten, and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of strategies of the devil. Notice Paul confirmed that this is a corporate endeavor that he is indicating. The phrase strive together means to wrestle in company with, to seek jointly. The word in the verb form is found only one other time in the New Testament. It's in Philippians 4.3. It says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers. Those names are in the book of life. Companion. They're working together. We get our word athlete from it. We are to be athletes in teamwork with others on the team. To get the gospel out, not in competition. Now, these are metaphors that Paul uses. Today, much of the emergent church and many churches are using these terms as we're a team and, and you can own part of it and, and they get into this corporate and other models that really take away from the nature of the church. Paul makes very clear what the nature of the church is and he uses many of these metaphors to make it very clear what he's talking about one body but many members according to God's gifts and purposes is Romans chapter 12 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14 tells us the goal is stated listen for the sake of the gospel this is a corporate endeavor we are here as those who are saved that used to be lost those who are alive that used to be dead, those who can see that used to be blind, and therefore, the, the the burning desire of our hearts should be: How do we reach those that were like us? It's just the way it is. That the gospel be preached, that the gospel be heard, that the gospel be responded to, in repentance. Notice 28, the Apostle Paul declared that believers are to be courageous ambassadors corporately of the gospel to unbelievers. Listen to his words, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Paul stated that we are not to be fearful of those who oppose the gospel the word terrified appears only this time in the new testament and its use in other writings of a frightened horse the adversaries means to be set over against those that withstand the gospel the word is in the plural meaning Jew and Gentile anybody Paul is going to speak about the dogs, beware of dogs, the Jews in chapter 3 when we get there, okay? And God sees the world as Jew and Gentile and the church of God. That's how he sees the world, okay? He doesn't see whether you're black, whether you're Mexican, whether you're yellow, whatever. He he sees Jew, Gentile, the church of God. That's how he sees it. Those are the three categories, okay? God makes it simple. God doesn't go for the race card, okay? Okay? He just sees us all in the same banner of sinners and he sees three categories. The wife that's going to be joined to him again been put away by divorce. The bride that is looking for a wedding and then those that are lost which comprise Jew and Gentile. Real simple. Now, they were to deliver the good news regardless of the response towards them. As Jeremiah and others, God says, do not be confounded before their faces as I dismay you. I've made your iron pillar a brazen wall. They will not touch you. They will not take your life. I will protect you. We are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 520 says, What a high call. Paul stated, Our worthy conduct, striving for the faith of the gospel, when opposed by adversaries, listen what it is, is to them a proof of perdition. In other words, the opposition or rejection of the worthy conduct or preaching is proof of a person's own eternal perdition. The Bible does not teach annihilation where people teach that once you die, you cease to exist. There's no heaven. There's no hell. Wow, what a lie from hell. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Blood, sweat, and tears when I was growing up in the 60s had a song. (laughs) I pray there's there's no hell, but I I hope there's a heaven. I pray there's no hell. And they made that psalm because they had church background. But they're in the world. <laughs> Interesting. Paul also stated, notice that our worthy conduct, striving for the faith of the gospel, benefits us. This is the flip side of it. But to you of salvation, and that from God. In other words, to the believer, it is the proof, or demonstration or sign or evidence of being saved. Having compassion and love for the lost. Not fearing them. Not being intimidated. Not being quiet. Unless God tells you to be quiet. And being sensitive. Not forcing yourself upon someone. And knowing when to be quiet. Others say here that it implies the contrast. From the adversary's view of the gospel. The gospel being evidence of perdition. Or a waste of our life. But to the believer's salvation. It's pushing. It's not what it says at all. I think the first that I gave you is exactly what it says. So. Those who oppose the gospel to them is perdition. Those who reject it is perdition eternally. To us, it's salvation. Daniel exhibited these particulars that we've covered here as he stood fast as a soldier of Christ, a team member, an ambassador. Daniel was in Shushan the Palace. Ezekiel was out with the people, a team. God was doing a work in Babylon. The people were to pray for the peace of Babylon, to have children, to marry, settle down. They were going to be there for 70 years, and God was going to bring them out. All of them, Daniel, Ezekiel, and the whole nation, was to understand this and work towards that. The steadfastness of the corporate church body has been the powerful influence throughout the history of this evil world for the salvation of sinners, as you know. Lighten Saul against the enticing darkness of sin in the world to call people to repentance. It's a warfare. God of this world blinds people as he did us, Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. The voice of true hope by the objective truth of God's word opposed to the false hope of subjectivism and relativism that blinds and corrupts people by academia and culture. Boy, are we in a heyday of that today. The constant witness about Jesus being the only Savior, the God-man who died in the place of sinners, to justify them before God. Consistent, the church has been like that throughout history. John six sixty seven and 69, Jesus said to, his, to the 12, Listen, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, greatest hope in the world. And when you're first young, old age seems long way, but don't blink. <laughs> it comes overnight. But well, we're not talking about 100 years or 200 years. We're talking about eternity. The gospel offers the greatest hope to lost man. That's why America is in the condition it's in, because pastors have ceased to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ of repentance. The effectiveness of the community of God's redeem is evident by the transformed lives of people, every generation, regardless of what part of the world. Removing the guilt and shame of our sinful lives before Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wow. Renewing our minds by his word to live by the new divine nature given to the second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 tells us. Can you you imagine you trying to live your life when you were in the world, the way you live it now? (laughs) You wouldn't be able to do it. And would you get harassed and you wouldn't be able to take it? You'd end up punching somebody in the mouth. But He has enabled you now. Restoring the years the canker room has eaten in individual lives, marriages, families, friends. What a joy when I see a couple that I thought it was over. I thought there's no way they're going to make it. And then they humble themselves. They go before God. And then I see them, and I see the joy, I see the, the hope, I see the, the touch of God. And what a, what a booster shot, man, to see what God can do as we give ourselves to him. And he just transforms us. Wow. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Or creation all things are passed away behold all things are new what a great verse the courage of so many in history to preach the gospel in hostile world are examples of Christ the early church martyrs in prison crucified cast of the lions the horrible persecution torture the stealing and confiscating of properties, the violating of their persons, burning them at the stake for being Christians by the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. Wow, what judgment. Because they wouldn't bow to Rome. Amazing to me. The imprisonment of multitudes as well as murder of Christians by an in India, old USSR, the Soviet Union, by Khrushchev and others, but even today, China under Mao and the Cultural Revolution, Iran, today, the Sudan, as Muslims just traffic. Christians Solomon to slavery, especially women, children, just for being Christians. Peter first Peter four twelve through fourteen puts it this way. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire of trials which are to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad and exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. <laughs> These are the particulars. Of the worthy conduct. Brings us to the privilege. Of the worthy conduct. In verse 29 and 30. In 29 the apostle Paul. Noted revealed God enabled the Christian. To endure sufferings. For to you it has been granted. On behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him. But also to suffer for his sake. So Paul stated the medium. Of the enablement. Listen. For to you it has been granted. The word for does not introduce the reason, but rather the explanation of the enablement at the point of salvation to do the two things he has mentioned. To conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, which refers back to verse 27. To not be terrified by their adversaries points back to 28. The word for could be translated seeing that or in view of the fact and it's emphatic. The source of their enablement notice is stated. To you it has been granted. The word means to show oneself gracious. To Benevolently bestow freely. The root word is the word charis, the word for grace. All sufficient source for the whole of salvation, unmerited favor. Wow. God's done in such a way that no one can ever boast for their abilities. Not one person. The tense is the indicative error is passive, a definite act in the past at salvation. When God saves you, he gives you everything regarding salvation. You've got to work out what he's worked in. You've got to grow, develop, and mature. When a man impregnates a woman and those chromosomes come together, And that egg is fertilized. In that little zygote is everything that little baby is ever going to need and possess. Everything. Nine months, grow and develop. Come running out of the womb. Start growing. Child, young man. Young know, adult, adult. But that baby is a human being. Everything in that baby that's ever going to be needed. That's us. Notice the mediator of this enablement is also stated on behalf of Christ. John one sixteen through seventeen says, and of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that we receive this grace, no one else. 1 Timothy 2, 5-7 through seven says, For there is one God and one meter between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. There you have the whole thing in a nutshell. (laughs) Notice Paul stated the two things God enabled them to live out when they were saved. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for His sake the personal benefit is to believe in him for salvation he is Messiah and Redeemer of man the only Savior of the world he was conceived and born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit he died in my place to forgive me of all my sins and he is God who will soon return for his church and then re- return with his church to set up the kingdom once I'm saved, I can believe these things. I don't doubt them. I don't even give them a second thought. <laughs> but the personal privilege is to suffer for his sake. Notice, because we are identified with Jesus. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh For this is commendable if, because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, 1 Peter two eighteen 18-21. You think he's telling this to an elite few or to the whole body of Christ? Everybody. 1 Peter three fourteen 14-17, Even though if you should suffer for the righteousness' sake, now you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evil doers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once and once for sin the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit wow do you hear any messages on the radio stuff like this (laughs) of course not. not it's too negative might empty the church you know But also notice, because we are here, and Christ is not. That's why we suffer. Listen to Colossians one twenty four. Paul says, "And now rejoice! I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ." For the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, the Catholic Church uses this for penance and afflicting yourself. Sort of like doing, you know, the kind of penance and, uh, to afflict yourself, to make yourself suffer. The context is that since Christ is no longer here, Paul says, and they can't beat Christ anymore, but I'm a Christian, so they beat me. That 's what he 's saying that's all he's saying. Look at thirty the apostle Paul revealed all Christians will go through suffering, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. So Paul acknowledged the suffering of the Philippians to be like the ones he suffered when he first came to Philippi, if you remember. The reference here to having the same conflict, this does not mean the exact manner of suffering, but the same Christian suffering for the sake of Christ. The word conflict is the word of going again, which is an athletic word for agony, agonized. The noun form appears five times in the New Testament. Agony over false doctrine in Colossians 2.1, agony for, due to preaching in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, agony in fighting the good fight in 1 Timothy 6.12 and 2 Timothy 4.7, and agony in the race of our sojourning in Hebrews 12.1. Notice the Philippians had been eyewitnesses. You saw in me. Paul and Silas were preaching Christ. The way of salvation, when a young woman began to give them some free advertisement, they didn't like it. These are the men of Most High. They're preaching salvation. And so Paul cast out a demon. The masters didn't like that. They brought him before the marketplace. The authorities in Acts 16, verse 16 through 18. And the multitude rose up against them. The magistrate took off their clothes. They commanded them to be beaten with rods. And they laid many stripes on them. They put them into prison, commanded the jailer to keep them. And um, they put him in the stocks in the way deep inner prison. Um, they paid a price. To the people he's writing, that's where it happened. So Paul reminded the Philippians he was now again suffering for the sake of Christ, the gospel. And now here is in me. So what happened over in Philippi now it's happening to him in Rome. As you know, he had been accused falsely in Jerusalem, bringing the Gentiles to the temple. They wanted to kill him in that riot. He became political scapegoat for about three years, appealing to Caesar. He had been transferred to Rome, and now he had been there for two years in his own hired house. Nobody being hindered to come. He just ministered to people. And he has had his first appearance, and he's waiting for his second. He believes he's going to be released, but he's there because of preaching the gospel. Wow. He says yes, and if... I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, he tells the Philippians. I am glad and rejoice with you all for the, for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me that I'm over here. Wow, Philippians 2, 7, 17 and 18. You know, John, the beloved, suffered in the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel. He is a fellow Brethren, who is suffering? Listen to Jesus. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John fifteen eighteen. So we're to rejoice exceedingly because they persecuted the prophets. Jesus said in Matthew five twelve. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. He said in John fifteen twenty. All that will live godly will suffer persecution. Second Timothy three twelve. Straight across the board. Second Corinthians four, sixteen through eighteen says, Therefore do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light of fleshing, which but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. Listen to Peter. For we have Spend enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentile when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking, uh, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 3-6. A heavy responsibility to preach the gospel. A heavy accountability for rejecting the gospel. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the the time has come, the judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator, 1 Peter four fifteen through 19 No one touches this part of the gospel. <laughs> it's there. This is the privilege of the worthy conduct. And so, Paul's admonition to the Philippians to live out Christ, their conduct worthy of the gospel, consists of these three things, the picture of a worthy conduct the particulars of the worthy conduct and the privilege of the worthy conduct lays it out for them father thank you for your grace your goodness for your love we pray lord you deal with our hearts and lord if there's anyone here doesn't know you or over the internet the radio lord you would speak to their hearts their conviction of their sin they would call upon your name lord as you're praying if if you don't know jesus christ as your lord and savior God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Right where you sit, you can accept him. This is your prayer of repentance, and he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.